So we're looking at our next uh, passage in our reading and understanding of lessons from the disciples. And I think this is one that's really, really crucial. Now, who remembers what we talked about last week? That's all right. You don't have to jump in all at once. It's okay. Um, (laughs) To refresh last week, what we talked about was Jesus calling the disciples and how when they saw him, they recognized him as the Messiah. So that's the first step in our discipleship. Now, that's just not just for us, but that's for those people who were sharing the gospel with as well. For those people that we want to see impacted by the love of Christ. It's about us acknowledging and recognizing that when we see Christ, whether it is in our community or in church or in the life and the setting we find ourselves in, we need to be ready to go ahead and point. I know with other kids it's rude to point, but that's okay. In this instance, it's fine. Because we can go ahead and point to Jesus and say, Hey, here is the Son of God. Here is the one that we have been waiting for. Here is the one that we need. And so we now take that next step in the discipleship journey as modeled to us by Scripture. And that is Jesus is with the twelve and He is talking to them and they don't yet fully know who He is. Have you ever felt like that, friends? Have you ever thought, yes, I I know Jesus. I've been to church my whole life. But if, if someone asks you about Him, maybe you might find yourself at a loss. Maybe you might think, oh, oh no, I I can't seem to give a response or an answer to that which I feel in my heart. So Jesus asked them this question, and that's what we're going to dive into today and understand. So I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Lord God, we ask that you give us the words, the understanding And the reality that Christ is with us, among us, and in us. And that, Father God, we have an opportunity to show others his love, his compassion, and his grace. So speak to us and through us. And may we learn a little bit more about this on this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you heard the expression, I'm not going to teach grandma how to suck eggs? Have you heard that one? I know. Some of you are looking at each other going, that sounds awful. Um, (laughs) I'm with you. I had not really heard that expression in in the English language. It's one which I learned in Adelaide. Take that with you as you will. But I thought, I thought it was one that was used a lot in ministry. Barry, that may be why you know it so well. <laughs> because it's one that was used a lot in ministry. And it was often in the context of, why are we teaching Christians how to be Christians? I want to ask you that question. Why are we teaching Christians... God bless you on the Harley. Why are we teaching Christians how to be Christians? Why are we teaching grandma how to suck eggs? So I had to do some research into this saying. And apparently it has to do with the way that boiled eggs were once 
healed, right? And that grandma would come and blow, put a little hole and blow and the skin would fall apart. And that's where this whole idea comes from. I think in today's, shall we say a bit more hygienic, (laughs) COVID safe world, perhaps this may not necessarily be that happy. I can't imagine we're going to be over here at morning tea and, you know, one of our ladies be blowing into the egg and then handing the freshly peeled egg to one of the kids. But apparently that is what used to happen. And this is where that saying comes from. A saying that I've just had to explain to you. I want you to sit with the irony of this for a second. Because the saying implies this is something everybody should know. The saying implies this is something everybody should just do. So I come back to my question. Why are we teaching teaching Christians how to be Christians? Because, dear friends, quite often we forget. Quite often we live in a world that says, oh, being a Christian is this. These are the values of being a Christian. This is the value of being a disciple. And this is what it means to do that. And those may be very far away from what we see in Scripture, from what we see in Jesus. What is the gospel, friends? Do you know? Can you tell me? Probably not. Don't worry. I won't have you respond. Some of you really want to respond. I love this. This is great. We're going to have a Bible study from this. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to hold back. In the Gospels, the Gospel is repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. That's it. That's all they had. They didn't have the long drawn out theological treatises that now fill my bookshelves and bookshelves of every minister in the world. They didn't have the uh, rabbinical insights going back a thousand years. They did not have the, the words of the doctors of the church, St. Augustine, Eusebius, Chrysostom. They did not have that. What did they have? Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, those words were true in the time of Christ. Those words are true today. So Jesus is walking with the twelve. They've been followers of God for all their lives, fearers of God. Philip was a scribe. I'm going to say something very controversial now. This is a house of grace, amen? You know, Philip's knowledge of Scripture, the literal words that were there, probably would have been better than all of his contemporaries, maybe even than Jesus in a sense, in a sense, that he had it memorized because he would have spent every day going over that Old Testament Scripture and he would have known it by heart, by memory, by reflex. Yet when Jesus calls him, he says to him, Philip, I saw you under the tree, puzzled over the word. See, the difference was that Philip knew it, but he didn't understand it. Jesus understood it. Jesus lived it. Jesus was the word. That's what John tells us. So Jesus could illuminate that in a way that Philip could never 
comprehend. I hope with all of that, that helps us to just come to a better understanding of where we are going with what Peter said. Thank you, Betty. So, Jesus asks them the question, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They reply, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And pause then. Who do people say Jesus is today? Some say he's a good teacher, a moralist, a philosopher. In the Islamic faith, Jesus is a prophet. These are all true. I am not denying any of these statements of Jesus. But they only cover one portion of the totality of who Jesus was. Friends, imagine the confrontational day where you and I are pressed to answer this question. Who do you say I am? I'm going to give you a moment to just have a think about that. For me, Jesus has been that balm and comfort in times of stress and difficulty. Jesus has been a teacher, yes, but not a teacher who stood up the front and said, you don't know this, therefore you should learn it. A teacher who would take my hand and instruct me lovingly. I had a great crisis of faith early on in my testimony. I'll share it with you one day. And in that crisis of faith, I looked in the world for answers. Do you think I found them? Don't get me wrong. There were lots of answers. Some were answers for other people. But they were not the answers that I sought. They were not the answers that I needed. And it was on a very lonely night where I finally humbled myself and came to my very own mom. Yes, the one who embarrassed me at my induction (laughs) with her anecdotes during the sermon. And I prayed beside her. And if you were there at that induction, you will remember she talked about my prayers and how I was a child who loved to pray and prayed hard. But I tell you the truth, that day that I prayed with her in my humility, in my suffering and in my brokenness, I had never prayed a truer prayer in my life before. The answer I needed, I found on my knees, bowing my head and closing my eyes with my loving mother and my loving Lord. And my life was changed. I guarantee you I would not be standing here before you if it were not for that moment. Now, dear friends, this is my way of answering this question of Jesus. Who do I say Jesus is? For me, Jesus is the one who found me in the darkest place in my life and rescued me and comforted me and lifted me and then gave me a bright future so that I would find myself with all of you. I invite you, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, 
to contemplate this question for yourself. And ask if you were charged with this question, how would you respond in the vulnerability and the honesty and the integrity of who you are? Thank you, Betty. I want to do a very quick Bible study. Thank you, darling. (laughs) Because we see a similar passage in Mark 8 and in Luke 9. Now, it's important for us to understand that these different Gospels had different intended audiences. And there are some nuances there. And I want to highlight some of those for you. Not to confuse you, not to dilute the veracity of this message and its impact, but instead to amplify our understanding. I want to transport you to that road so that you are there with the 11 and you find yourself there and you hear the voice of Christ. Matthew, who wrote apparently in Hebrew, we're not sure if that actually happened, but who wrote to the church in Jerusalem, he, uh, he poses the question as we read it. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? Now, in this, Matthew is quoting Jesus' words. And he's using this reference from Daniel. This is really important for us to understand. Because in Daniel, the Son of Man is Israel. But it's not Israel, the great and mighty, who has conquered and overcome. It is the suffering servant. It is the one who is going to be broken and dashed and punished. Matthew is saying here that Jesus is identifying himself with brokenness. And in that brokenness, he is asking the disciples, Do you know, do you understand what this brokenness will entail? To the Jewish ear, these words would have resonated with pain, suffering, loss, and longing for hope in a better future. So you can hear how this question is so loaded for them. How Jesus' question is not an easy one. In Mark, which tradition tells us is a compilation of the preaching of Peter, If you read it in the book of Mark, you might think, oh, well, because Peter preached about this, surely it must be very long and full of detail. No, it isn't. It is the shortest of the accounts. I think Peter didn't talk about it extensively because, of course, Jesus says, you are. Come on, guys, you know it. You are the rock. So it is a a way for Peter to, to kind of gloat. So he doesn't go on about it too much. Mark's gospel, which I love because it's the simplest of them all in the original language. He asks, who do the people say I am? It's at this juncture I want to share with you. I, I actually had a look at the Aramaic Bible to understand Maybe what Christ might have said in his own words. The grammar behind how he would have phrased this heavy, profound question. This is the closest to what's in those Aramaic Bibles. There is this sense there of 
Christ asking about this innumerable crowd. He's not asking about that particular group or the folks from that city. He's he's asking about this general humanity. I want to leave that with you for a second and I'm going to come back to it. Because in Luke, Luke, a disciple of Paul, he writes, who do the crowds say I am? And in that, he's identifying a very interesting but very important phenomenon in that culture. If you've heard of philosophers, philosophers would travel the countryside and they would gather crowds among them who would come and listen to them. But did the philosophers speak when the crowds first arrived? The disciples would speak first. Yeah? The disciples would be talking about, hey, look, this, great, this philosopher is great. He knows what he's going to talk about. Come on, come on. Then more crowds would arrive. Would the philosopher speak? No. He'd hold on. More disciples would speak about him. Yeah, build him up. Come on. They'd have a Mexican wave going. Woo! Everybody's getting really excited. And then comes the big act. And the philosopher would speak. I love Luke's gospel. This passage is a little tongue-in-cheek. Jesus is intentionally drawing that parallel. Because Jesus didn't wait for his disciples to gather crowds, to showcase his popularity, to declare his greatness. When he went up on the mountain to preach, he spoke to the poor and the destitute. And when they were hungry, he fed them. So I like Mark's translation. Who do these normal, human, masses of people say I am? And I love it because it applies even today. Because all you need to do to find out what the world says about Jesus is open up a newspaper. Listen to the radio. Go on to Netflix or whatever streaming service. You can find documentaries, you can find movies, art. Jesus has been spoken about and described by so many people in so many different ways. Thank you, Betty. It's important for us to know the Jesus that we serve. Jesus pressed them. How about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I like this translation from the message because it says, You are the Christ, the Messiah. None of the others actually say Messiah. I found that hard. Given what we talked about last week, I was explaining to you that the disciples saw him and they said, here is the Messiah. And we needed to explain what Messiah meant and how that was so important, so impactful. But yet here, 
Peter's revelation is not, hey, here is the promised one. It's here is the Christos. Here is the Christ. Here is the one that we need to unpack and comprehend. And we need to really learn and understand. Why? Because by this stage, we're in chapter 16 in Matthew. By this stage, Matthew has so established Christ's credentials. He doesn't need to tell you more about it. I don't like that. It doesn't make for convenient preaching. (laughs) But more importantly, it sets a bad example for us. Because when the world asks us, who is Christ to you? Who is Jesus to you? And we say Christ, for many people that is meaningless. For many people that doesn't have any connotation to their reality now. Instead, I would say Jesus is healer, comforter, soccer, savior. These words have meaning. Peter used a word that was relevant to his culture and his context. And it carried all that meaning. And I invite you to find who that Christ is for you. And if ever you are pressed with this question, answer from that integrity, from that honesty, from that vulnerability. Last night we were here for the Brazilian service. And um, you know how sometimes you have these moments where you're, you're hearing language and you've known it your whole life. But then something will happen, so a penny will drop and you'll be like, oh, that's why we say that. Um, so the, so the, the, the message read, we, we preached from the same passage and it read, your name is Peter. Yes, you shall be called Peter. In Portuguese, it's Pedro. And on this, Pedra, I will build my church. I'm not kidding. Pedro, Pedra. I, I've spoken Portuguese my whole life. I never <laughs> registered that the guy's name was literally rock-like in my language. It was a huge revelation. I went home and I was like, wow, my mind is blown. I'm serious. It was just, it was a big thing. Sometimes we take for granted these little moments of clarity. Part of today's message is let's not take them for granted anymore. Let's not gloss over these as if they are meaningless. I've been saying Pedro my whole life. I've been calling him the rock without thinking. As have you. Just an anglicized translation of it. And on this rock, I will build my church. On this truth, on this foundation. See, that's the next part of it. Because the church, my dear friends, is not this building. It's not this site. It's not this address. It is you and me and all those dear friends and family that we call brothers and sisters in Christ and beyond. That is the church. The original word in the Greek language, it actually means the gathering, the coming together. It has been inherited from the word synagogue. Do you know what a synagogue is? Do I need to explain it? All right, thank you, because we are running out of time. Um, (laughs) The word synagogue means the gathering of the fruit, so that these are gathered in. 
to be shared out. That is the inheritance that we have received. And that is something we need to start living. Because the second we start saying the church is this building here in Pimpama, that building over there in Kumra, that building up on highway, or that building that's called Gateway, that's the second that we lose the reality of Christ at work in our lives and among us. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now, I'm going to tell you who you are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. I want to conclude with that final phrase that Jesus says. A church with such energy that not even the gates of hell can withstand it. My friends, have you ever felt so encouraged? Jesus is talking about you. Maybe you don't feel strong. Maybe you don't feel like this word is speaking about you because you're not involved that much in the church or you don't do this much. But I want to tell you what little you do when Christ is in it. Hell cannot overcome it. Try as hard as it might. That is the blessing and the reality of what we call fellowship. Of what we call coming together in this moment. And maybe when you go from here, you feel just a little bit weaker. Maybe you feel a little bit more alone, maybe a little bit more disconnected. But I encourage you, dear friends, remember that you take from here. You take from here. That presence of God goes with you. That same Christ whom you answer, this is my Christ. He goes with you. It's no coincidence that Jesus said this and it's repeated in those gospels as well because he wants the church to know that despite the world that doesn't recognize us, does not recognize the love of God, the presence of Christ, how cannot overcome us. I pray that this is a word that will continue to bless you in your walk, in your journey. And maybe God will open the door for someone to come and hear your testimony of who Christ is in your life. Let us pray. Lord God, you are so good. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you that we can know you go before us. Whatever we do, wherever we find ourselves, Father, you are there. Bless us with an understanding of this word that we may live it out at school, at work, with our friends, with our families. And may we be ever conscious of the Christ whom we serve, who he is for each one of us. Uplift us and bless us with this knowledge. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.